Ready for the interview And if you get a cue Live on the laptop Watch what I'm gonna do Welcome to the show Let them know we got a point of view Hey, yo Let's have a combo Say what you feel Be real, that's the motto Real talk, pronto Doctor D, PhD Hit the intro Hold up, wait Gotta be social Network global Home for the locals Gotta be social Network global Home for the locals Okay, so we were talking about your passionate work with homeless uh, tent camps and things. So, and I was going to ask you before um, we kind of got disconnected there was, where does this passion come from to want to do this work? I've always had a deep, deep, deep sense of empathy and compassion for people. Um, I've always been unable to look away from human suffering. And I think that I think that the world is kind of divided into a few camps when it comes to especially the homeless community. Um, because I think that there are people who they see human suffering and like myself, they feel compelled to try and do what they can do within their own power to lessen that suffering. And then you have the people who don't feel that compulsion or desire to do something to help it. Um, and they're, I think, subdivided into kind of a couple of categories. There's the people who see the suffering, it makes them feel uncomfortable and guilty because of their privilege. And they choose to turn a blind eye because it's too uncomfortable for them to view it um, and register it and take that in. Um, and then there's people who um, not only don't feel compelled to help, but they they choose to believe that the suffering is somehow deserved or um, a result of um, personal choices with zero like regard for um, all of the myriad factors that contribute to the issue. But, um, but they actually resent and hate the homeless community for simply mm. existing. And I've seen that hatred and vitriol from community members coming through the park and interacting with us at the tent city. Um, and it's the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. Right. Uh, and what's interesting is that um, despite all my privilege, when I've been there long enough doing a shift there, um, I blend in quite well as a member of the encampment. And a lot of community members, um, like outside of the encampment, um, mistake me for somebody residing in the encampment. And then I've gotten to experience how those people treat and interact with the homeless community because they are treating me as if I yeah. am a member of the homeless community 
And that includes police interaction. Mm. Yeah. I've had police in ask when police have come to the site, um, which has happened on various occasions for various things, issues or people. Um, when being asked for the basic information that they legally have to share, such as their names and badge numbers and what authority they are on in enacting what they are doing in that moment. Um, they have said things to me and other organizers like, I don't have to tell you shit. You live in a tent, like you're nothing, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Um, and in fact, we had a 17 year old volunteer who herself used to be a homeless youth who has now just graduated from high school, been accepted to a university. She's, you know, really pulled herself out of a terrible situation and managed to achieve so much. And she's just the most amazing, inspiring young woman. Um, and she cares so much about the homeless and especially the homeless youth. Um, and so she has been volunteering her time and I watched her get assaulted by a police officer, um, when they had come to, uh, take a minor from the tent city, yeah. um, illegally actually. And yeah. Um, but she was pushed to the ground by a police officer. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting to see how the police interact with you when they believe that you're a member of the homeless right. community. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, as a black man in the U.S., I'm, I'm well sure aware. You're a little aware that the police are really only nice to some people. So, well, you know what's interesting about that too is like. Okay, so like if I'm on the highway and someone's like speeding like crazy and they're going, um, you know, and I see him go by and let's say it's a white person mm -hmm. and I go, man, I really don't have that luxury to like yeah. get pulled over and be like, oh, I was a mistake. You know, like I got to put my hands outside the window immediately because you're taught this, you're taught the drill. Yeah. When you're black. And so, you know, right. I understand how people see different um, populations of people differently, whereas right. other people just have this blind spot to it. They just think, what's the big deal? I'm having fun doing this. I'm like, yeah, but the that doesn't work that way for me. Right. Like, you know, and that's privilege. Yeah, exactly. Privilege. Yeah. yeah. How do and they I well, how do like do people know what you do for a living when you're volunteering down there? Yeah. I've tried to actually be vocal about it because it was the original um, funding for this action. And one thing that I think I had started to get to and not actually fully um, elaborated on is the fact that not only is this tent city serving as the shelter space for these individuals, it's also a political action to put pressure on local government to take action to address this housing crisis um, and substance use crisis and opioid overdose yeah. crisis. 
Um, and as well, um, it's, it's serving as yet another um, space. So it actually takes some of the pressure off of the other encampments that were pre-existing that were set up just by the homeless community themselves. Um, because that's the difference between our tent city and the other encampments is that this was set up by organizers who are by and large housed community members. We just give a shit more than local government does about these yeah. people who are struggling. Um, yeah, so um, I, I, yeah, I forgot what you're... Uh, no, I was saying basically kind of make a, a connection between like uh, the sex work that you do and people, do they oh, know that yeah, you're doing yeah. this? So yeah. I've actually, yeah, so because when we set it up, it was by and large, um, the, the labor and the funding and everything was provided by myself and other sex workers. And so it has been because of the stigma that we face because of all of that, it has been important to me to be open about the fact that I am a sex worker, that the money I make from doing sex work has funded this place um, and continues to do so. Um, it's I, like, I can't even remember the last thing that I just like, bought for myself as a nice thing because mm. like it's literally so much more satisfying to me to put food in the mouths of hungry people or buy a homeless teen a pair of sneakers and that like is way more satisfying to me than any little thing that I could get for myself um but uh, yeah, so it is important to me that I make people aware that it is that I am a sex worker because people do have such misconceptions about sex workers. Um, yes, I would yeah. say so. And <laughs> I think what was one of the more beautiful things about your last appearance on my podcast was the amount of people who were just very shocked by you being so open mm -hmm. about it. And I was just talking to someone else who I'm producing a series with on my podcast. And they were like, anytime you talk to Aubrey, I will listen to that. That woman's amazing. And uh, yes, her name's Carmel Clark. She's a huge fan of yours. She's amazing. Oh, oh that's so nice to hear. Thank yeah. you. And Hi, she, but, yeah, you. she, she loves that, by the way. She's in like Portugal <laughs> right now doing some work. But the other day we were in a meeting. I said, oh, I'm going to have Aubrey back on. She's like, oh, this is mind blowing. I, I can't wait to listen to this. I cannot wait to just like between you and her. These are like amazing conversations, you know? Oh, that's lovely. I love that so much. Thank yeah. You. I thought you'd enjoy hearing that. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, that's, that's really a nice boost. Thank you. Yeah. Because I think like you're very different in this. Okay. Let's put it this way. There's well, I'm going to cut it, but it, again, I think it's important that we recognize that I am so open about it because I have the privilege to be able to be open about it. Yeah. And that privilege is because of a number of things. Like I'm just a pretty normal, well-spoken white woman, right? If I were a trans woman, if I were a black woman, if I were an indigenous woman, 
I would face more um, risk of retaliation yeah. by police, by people who just right. people because they're full of hatred, etc. cetera. Um, but also because uniquely like I, I am like, I am a parent. I have two teens myself, um, but they know what I do. Everybody important in my life knows what I do. Um, so there's no threat to me um, for people to know what I do. Like they can stigmatize me. Um, they can be prejudiced against me, I guess, but their opinion of me doesn't matter. The only opinions that matter are the people, like my loved ones and my loved ones yeah. are fine with it. So, um, and I'm a career whore now. Like I yeah. have no aspirations for other career. So the fact that so many doors are closed to me because of me being outspoken about this doesn't actually impact what I'm trying to do. Um, career-wise so I'm able to be open about it and yeah. actually what's exciting and terrifying um is that I am also on the organizing committee um as um a representative of SWAN the sex workers action network um that I'm a part of uh with delegates from other organizations social justice and social work yeah. organizations that are on the organizing committee for our local annual uh, Take Back the Night March, which is um, a march um, about gender-based and sexual violence. Um, and it's called Take Back the Night because it's literally about women marching in the street because women are not safe in the street at night. Yeah. Um, women and femmes. Um, and so, yeah. I am on the organizing committee for that, but I also am going to be speaking at the event as a sex worker and as someone who has experienced uh, sexual violence, both within sex work, within the context of sex work, but also um, outside of sex work um, and speaking uh, to the fact that it's not that sex work is inherently dangerous. It's that men are dangerous. Some men are dangerous to women and our clients are men. And it's not that sex work is inherently dangerous. It's that the stigma against us by community members, by police makes us ideal victims for predatory men. And it's that stigma that endangers us. And that's the focus of what I'll be talking about. But I will literally be standing in front of a crowd of my neighbors and community, local community members <laughs> and calling myself a whore and <laughs> out some of the more uh, personal um, and life-changing experiences that I've had. So that is exciting and terrifying that's going to be in september but also with that um as an organizer i was able to actually invite 
Um, one of the homeless teens staying at Tent City, uh, a 15 year old girl, um, she is going to speak at the event, the Take Back the Night March as well um, with her experiences as a street-based um, girl and her what, what that has meant for her with regards to um, gender-based and sexual violence. Um, and so I'm going to be working with her and sort of mentoring her um, preparing her to do that um, and we'll be kind of working together on our things and it'll be scary and exciting for both of us and um, I'm really 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 hoping that this mentorship and this opportunity for her will help to start to instill a sense of value and, and self-worth and self-esteem and give her um, give her her voice and let her see that she can, all of this anger and rage and, um, that she has inside of her can be channeled, um, productively. And also because we'll be working on our speeches together, she'll be, um, privy to hearing about some of my traumatic experiences in my life. Um, and, so it'll allow her to see that you can you can live through terrible things and come out the other side um, strong and happy and you know living a life that you want to be living, which is how I would describe my life. Yeah, so. you're definitely. I, I'm not sure there's many people who are just overtly putting this out there like you are. And I think that's what I get a lot of feedback about, about you is like, man, I can't believe she's just putting it out there like that. People tend to be, yeah, inspired by people who own themselves, all of themselves and who, yeah, it, it's, it's doing that shadow work. It's becoming comfortable with all aspects of yourself, the good, the bad, the ugly. It's, it's, it's like when you're good with that within yourself, you're just Teflon because yeah, nobody can make me feel shitty about myself yeah. in ways. I really know who I am. I'm comfortable with who I am. I live according to my own personal integrity. Um, and those values don't necessarily align with the values of the majority or the values of everyone. But I always try to do my best to make decisions and take actions that align with my personal values and my integrity. So I can sleep well at night knowing that I'm good with who I am. I'm yeah. not out there purposely hurting anybody. And if anything, I'm always trying to do the opposite of that. Yeah. So I like who I am. And um, I think that everybody should try. I think that the world would be a better place if there was more room for people to just be who the fuck they are. Yeah. And I think that the vast majority of people at their core are good and it's when we are systemically pushed down and 
you know, marginalized and all of those things, that's what starts to make us deviate from yeah. that, you know, because the vast majority of people aren't sociopaths or psychopaths. I agree. So many good people. You know? So many good people. Good and they want to do good and they want to be good and they want people to feel good around them. And, you know, yep. like, um, but there's so much fear of judgment and ridicule and all of those things. And like, I think the beauty in being a whore is that you, you're just embracing like a thing knowing that most people hate that thing most people have negative yeah. ideas about that thing and it's like you're just like i don't know there's there's definitely like a deep well of like strength and resiliency and fortitude that i have seen and recognized in other sex workers um yeah yeah it's just yeah. you know it's like you've said you said whore several times yeah and, you I know i think for me i am you know i grew up in the 80s i am have a program though of like hearing that and i go oh i would never say that to you you know right. what i mean like then like you're saying it and i'm like okay this is like throwing me <laughs> you know what i mean it's yeah, like throwing yeah, me yeah. you know well i mean it's it's just like it's a matter of like self-identification and reclamation of a word that's been made derogatory yeah. but it actually isn't like at its like denotive like definition it's it's not derogatory it just means somebody who sells sexual services yeah right um but it's become so loaded it's become so misogynistic it's been a word that's been used to degrade women who don't participate right right slut shaming it's misogyny and i i just i just fully reject that yeah like no fuck you like yeah you can call me a whore i am a whore i am a proud yeah. whore jesus loves yeah. whores i love whores whores are great so yeah i'm a whore your twitter <laughs> is great about that i love your twitter about that like, I don't even go on Twitter. I've only go. Honestly, I've only been on yours. I don't go on Twitter. I only went on yours because I was thinking about last time when you were on and somebody called you a name. You're like, yeah, but that's true. Like, yeah. like <laughs> they called you a cocksucker or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, OK. And yeah. Definitely. Suck a yeah. lot of cocks. You're like, thank you. <laughs> Very accurate observation. Yeah. You are accurate, my friend. <laughs> like you yeah, just that's something I'm soon, actually got one lined up. For you got some dick to suck today. I mean <laughs> <laughs> then I'm gonna take that money and I'm gonna go buy food for it's unbelievable. Food, so but see, that's what I mean about you. This do you realize your I understand? Listen, I understand all about privilege and people and we talked a little bit. But do you realize like how you sound, how this is so counterintuitive for even many people who are in your industry? Like, yeah, like you're a, you're a fucking diamond. <laughs> like, like, well, seriously. Yeah. 
<laughs> yes, I was pumped about. I was like, man, people. And I was interested because I never worried about getting deplatformed or canceled. I don't give a shit about that stuff. I just right. put out this art to me. I, I talk to who I talk to, whatever. I mean, people were loving it. They're like, it was this. I was like, there'll be more of this. I don't care. I just want people to see behind the curtain. That's my biggest thing. Right. What, what are you making your judgment on? Is it about the platform or is it, do you actually look behind the curtain before the person comes out and understand what it's about? Like right. I guarantee people don't, they're not going to see your activism coming. No way. There's <laughs> no way. They're going to think she's a whore. There's no way they're into this stuff. Guarantee. You know? Yeah, no, for sure. And the, the thing is, is that that's so far from reality because when you look at the sex work community, like mutual aid is so prevalent in the sex worker community mm. um, because sex workers fall through the cracks. Sex workers get left yeah. behind. When bad shit happens to us, People don't give a fuck. They think we are incurring what we deserve and are asking for. So when a sex worker gets raped, when a sex worker gets robbed, when a sex worker gets caught up in a police sting and arrested, when a sex worker um, gets sick and can't pay their rent because they can't see clients, whatever the fuck you will see other sex workers rallying and organizing and taking care of these sex workers without personally knowing them mm. because we won't leave each other behind because we know that everybody else will leave us behind. It is up right. to us to take care of each other. So mutual aid in the sex worker community, um, charity, whatever the fuck you want to call it, but we we take care of each other. We make each other safe. We can't depend on police on and the, that's not unique to the sex. No, that's definitely not obviously. unique. <laughs> Let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we 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 can't put, depend on the police to keep us safe. So we run our own networks um, to spread information. We run our own blacklists. We run our own. Um, communication lines to make sure that we're protecting each other when there are predators out there um, preying on us. We do the mutual aid thing like um, and like we just do like honestly the best person probably to ask for help um, is a whore because if we have it we'll give it usually. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, uh, it's not rare. I'm not rare um, within the sex work community, I would say. I mean, I'm a unique individual, but being yes. a sex worker who is politically active, who is active in the social justice organizing scene, that's, that's not that rare in the sex work community. But it's people don't know that. But like a lot don't. of people don't know that the rareness is you're actually putting it out there. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I've tried really hard actually to be sharing a lot um, of the social justice stuff that I'm doing um, on my Twitter platform. Um, yeah, my Twitter is just like, it's, it's raw. It's real. Yes, and it is. I share everything about my life, really like 
my personal life, my social justice life, my sex work life, my family life, all of it. I'm very open and honest about. Um, recently, I had a severe bout of depression that I think just came from not balancing very good self-care and my schedule being so out of whack. Yeah. Uh, I, I used to be uh, in, in bed at night at 10 p.m. and up at 6 a.m. person. And now I'm like doing, you know, various shifts at the tent city. So sometimes I'm there until 4 a.m. Sometimes like one time I did a 20 hour overnight solo security shift and didn't sleep for like 30 hours. Uh, I got home from doing a tent city shift. Um, I left my shift at 4.30 a.m. this morning. I got to sleep probably around 6.30 a.m. and then got a few hours of broken sleep before uh, hopping in the shower and hopping on here to talk to you. So, and then after this, I'm gonna be cooking some food and bringing dinner to the tent city. I'm not on shift, but um, uh, there's, so all of the homeless teens and it's just a small group. There's um, about six of them. They, uh, they've taken to calling me mom. So they have like what they call like street moms. Yeah. Uh, And usually their street mom would be uh, a homeless adult, but, um, yeah, I, I, I've always, I've always been a nurturer. Um, I am a mom and I've been a mom for my entire adulthood because I had my eldest, my 17 year old when I was 20. So my entire adulthood, I've been a mom, but I was a little mom, even as a child, I was always taking care of, um, other people. And my friends have always jokingly called me mom because I'm taking care of little things. And, um, and now these homeless youth have taken to calling me mom and they tell me they love me and they are so desperate for that nurturing, unconditional support, supportive love that the one thing that's absolutely fascinating to me is not one of the teen boys has ever objectified or sexualized or hit on me in any manner at all. I get it nonstop from the adult men Uh. at Tent City. And, you know, even in the past, like my son's teen friends, guys or whatever you know oh your mom's hot or whatever right but these homeless teen boys have never once treated me in that manner and it's because they are so desperate for that mother nurturing love they don't see me in that way they just see a mom they see that mom figure and I'm telling you, like, they've got a clutch on my heart now in a way that, like, I can't get them out of my head. So it doesn't matter whether I'm at Tent City or not. They're at the forefront of my mind. I'm constantly thinking about 
things they need, things they could use, planning out what to get for them and, um, and worrying about them and thinking about, you know, the, the things they've confided in me. And, you know, it's, I wish that I was rich. I wish that I could just take them all in and, you know, rebuild them and just let them be kids because the most heartbreaking thing about these youth is that they never get reprieve from their reality the only reprieve they get from their reality is drugs right it's the only way they don't have the luxury. They don't have smartphones. They don't have Wi-Fi. They don't have computers. They don't have TV. They don't have any of the distractions that most kids have to distract them from their minor life problems. And these kids are dealing with severe trauma and abuse histories. And on top of that, their current reality is being triggered and re-traumatized by witnessing all of the things that they witness on the streets. Um, They're seeing people overdose. Yeah. They are like, they are living realities that most adults couldn't fucking handle. And they are forced to be what most people would observe as obnoxious, like asshole, little tough guys, but they are terrified, traumatized children, literally sleeping in tents, surrounded by um, people with mental health issues, people using hard substances, people, predator, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they have to project a toughness at all times. They cannot afford to indulge for a second their trauma, their triggers, their heartbreak, their fears, their anything that shows weakness. And they flash weapons and they talk shit and they you know front with each other and other people and uh, at the surface observational level it looks like shitty obnoxious annoying teens doing drugs making bad choices being assholes to people but when you actually look at it it is literally these children who don't get to be fucking children yeah who don't get to indulge or explore or grow their softer side their deeper sides who don't like every child deserves and needs at a fundamental level that safe soft person to to confide in to lay their shoulder on to be weak around my 17 year old son 
uh, when he was here visiting in April because he does the hockey boarding school in another mm -hmm. province in Saskatchewan. So uh, when he was here on break in April, he was dealing with a heartbreak and he spent one night like literally just sobbing in my arms about this heartbreak. And, you know, that's literally just, you know, a romantic heartbreak. Yeah. And he got to have that safe space to break down and be vulnerable and all of that. And these kids don't get that safe space. They don't have that safe person. And they're dealing with problems that most adults will never have to fucking like yeah. ever even think about. And it's, it breaks my heart. 10,000 times a minute like I just and I recognize myself in them and my past um because I also didn't have uh that unconditional parental love that wasn't dysfunctional or abusive or whatever um and I struggled for a long time and I've made a lot of bad decisions in my life I've dealt with um, substance abuse issues in the past. Um, I have made all kinds of bad choices over the years and done all kinds of shitty things, um, in my struggle to deal with the overwhelming pain that I had from the trauma that I had in my life and the lack of unconditional love and support that I had in my life. And I see that in these kids and, and then I see my own children and the difference, you know, because I was so intent on giving that love and validation and emotional support to my own kids. And I've seen what that has done for them and the freedom that they have to be, you know, just be kids and to depend on me and to not worry about shit and like, and that's why I'm obsessed. And that's why I, it's such a compulsion for me because when I come home and I get to take that hot shower and I get to crawl into my soft bed, I know that the kids I've just left behind don't have those luxuries. I know that I can then break down and cry for an hour if I need to. Yeah. They don't have that luxury. I know that I can put on Seinfeld and zone out and just take that mental break from the harshness of the realities that I'm living and observing. And they don't have that luxury. And I just want, I feel like nothing is more compelling to me right now than trying to do whatever I can to make them have little tastes of getting to be kids. And they have given me a love and a trust and a respect that I never asked for. And I feel a huge, huge, sense of responsibility in that because I don't want to be yet another person that's failed them or right. let them down or abandoned them or 
I'm sorry, I'm getting. Choked. I see how emotional this is for you. I see it. I mean, you're just like, uh, you know, you're a good person, Aubrey. You really are. And I think that's what I want to do with a lot of this stuff is, you know, talk to people in, in places that people think that, oh, what are they doing? Like, you know, yeah. like this isn't a good, how can they be a good person? You know, right. what they're doing. And it's, no, I'm a degenerate. I'm right. just like a low Me life too. degenerate <laughs> you know, in society. Yeah. They just think like, we, you just think you're in some, you know, you're in some tunnel doing weird stuff with people, but it's yeah. great. To, it is, you don't know anybody until you actually listen and spend time with them and their stories. So, so um, man, I, I feel, I feel your emotion and, uh, <laughs> Man, just another good time being with you and a different side of you this time to explore. So thank you so much for giving me your time again. Thank you for allowing me to share this um, with you and with all of your listeners or viewers. Um, and also, I would I would be remiss if I didn't uh, use this opportunity to solicit donations for Tent City. Um, so you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Aubrey Pesky, A-U-B-R-I-E-P-E-S-K-Y. You can private message me on there. Um, and uh, if you're interested in donating, um, all donations go directly to supplies for the camp, to food, to ice for the coolers, to propane for the cooking stove, to tents and sleeping bags for people who don't have them. Um, and also to, um, you know, clothing items for yeah. uh, youth, uh, those kinds of things. Um, hygiene supplies, uh, harm reduction supplies, all of those things. Um, so every little bit helps and I'd be ever so grateful for any donations um, well, for anybody who feels um, compelled to give. Definitely have your Twitter out there. And, um, and or what, conversely, what a, if you don't want to directly support um, Tent City in little old Kitchener, Ontario, Canada, um, I would encourage all of your listeners to find out how they can support in their own local communities because yeah. this crisis is everywhere it's a humanitarian crisis Most definitely. And the divide between rich and poor uh is just ever growing, growing and that yeah. middle class is just ever shrinking and so many people don't realize how little it can take and how just one or two um unfortunate circumstances can completely change your life circumstances. Um, none of yep. these people intended to be homeless. None right. of them intended to be homeless. None of them want to be homeless. None of them enjoy being homeless. And once you do become homeless, the system is designed to keep you stuck. Right. It is so hard to claw your way back out and gotcha. the barriers that just keep piling on, keep you in a cycle of poverty and the system is designed to do that. And it works very well to do that. You definitely need to be speaking about this more often because you're like your passion and, and 
just your knowledge there it's up there so i'm glad you could be on here and provide that so thank I really you appreciate thank it you so much for having me of course it'll be another time i'm thank sure you again anyway. too. i enjoy you you're thank just you. you as a person you're very lovely to talk to thank you about. aubrey appreciate it all right lovely aubrey everyone thank you so much